This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg. Grab a stool and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Wishing you all a happy Hanukkah and a blessed and a Merry Christmas. And, um, well, this is our second to last show of 2019, so still time to wish you a happy new year. We'll do that next week. But again, this is the first of eight crazy nights, my friends, for, uh, for all of those, those of you who observe Hanukkah. And, uh, uh, of course, here we are just three days before Christmas. It's the night before the night before the night before Christmas. Uh, how to form communities and support networks in order to defeat the new world order. Writer, researcher, adventurer Stefan Verstappen is standing by this hour uh, to discuss that. And then in hour two, open lines. Owen Wolf is my technical producer and Ryan White is my live stream producer. And we are streaming live audio only on the YouTube channel. That's Strange Planet. Get on up and uh, click that red sub button. We are closing in on 18,000 subscribers. And incidentally, have you registered for my free monthly newsletter yet? Inner Sanctum. It's uh, just jam-packed with great content. Uh, There's a This Month in Conspiracy History. There's a monthly brief from me. My monthly editor's podcast pick. A spotlight on previous guests. uh, A book club. What else? Well, there's a lot there. All you need to do to have Inner Sanctum delivered to your email inbox, again, for free every month, just go to strangeplanet.ca. That's my website, strangeplanet.ca, and click on the, well, there's a big blue sign there. It just says, sign up now for my newsletter. You just click on that. It'll ask you for your name and your email, and that's it. You're done, and you'll start receiving the Inner Sanctum, and you'll also be automatically entered into the monthly draw for Strange Planet merchandise. And um, this, incidentally, this month's winner, uh, for those that have registered, is Daryl Jones of Kingston, Ontario. Congrats, Daryl. I'll be sending you a Strange Planet mug. So register today. Do it right now before you forget. It's real simple. Just go to strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca. 
Uh, My guest is working on a new book. It's called The Complete Guide to Forming Communities, which, he says, offers plans and solutions to solve many of the problems plaguing Western society. Forming a support network and communities may be the only way to survive some kind of economic cataclysm or other natural or man-made disaster. The ultimate goal of this guide, he says, is to help free us of the shackles of the new world order. Stefan Verstappen is a Canadian author, researcher, adventurer. He's written dozens of articles for various magazines and newspapers. He's the author of eight books, including The Way of the Warrior, The 36 Strategies of Ancient China, and The Art of Urban Survival. And again, his latest is The Complete Guide to Forming Communities for Mutual Aid, Support, and Charity. Stefan Verstappen, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. It's been a while. How are you? Hi, Richard. Thanks for having me back on. I think it's been a year since, maybe a year and a half since I was on last. But, right. Uh, and w- yeah. we, we had you on uh, talking about how the world is run by sociopaths and how to sort of recognize a sociopath, how to either get out of their way or defend yourself from sociopaths, correct? That's right. Because they are, you know, they're, they're a big problem in our society. Everybody listening right now will have run into a psychopath at one point in their life and it would have caused them a lot of misery and suffering. And so the better we are able to spot them and avoid them, the happier your life will be. Right. Okay. So when you say forming a community, and let's say that we're, and we'll get into what sort of disasters we might be anticipating. In fact, last week, we, we spent the, the entire two hours talking about this huge space rock, um, Apophis, which is some say, is on a, uh, on a collision course with our planet in uh, April of 2029. Now, this is a planet killer. I don't know if forming a community above ground will do us any good, but let's, let's say we're, we're anticipating some sort of a, um, an economic, a huge economic crash uh, because, you know, the, the stock market has just been outperforming and it's sort of exceeded the, the seven year cycles. Typically we get uh, seven year cycles. We get a, a tremendous uh, bull market and then a bear. Um, but it seems to be overheating. So let's assume we're, we're anticipating um, like a huge crash that's going to cause, it's going to be so disruptive. It's going to cause a breakdown in social order. When you talk about forming a community, just walk me through what you mean. Are we talking about you know, like I'm going to, if I'm going to survive, I need to know a doctor because I can't perform surgery on myself. So I'm going to look, seek out, befriend a doctor and maybe a dentist and maybe a carpenter and maybe someone with some engineering background. Uh, and, and together we're going to make, maybe make a plan to bug out somewhere and settle and form our own little community. Is, is that what you're talking about? Well, that's, that's a possibility. Uh, I'm not a big fan of bugging out. Uh, because I don't think you're going to have time for it. And I'm not sure that you'll be able to escape the chaos once it hits the big cities. Um, and also forming a lot of people have this idea that they'll form this community out in the countryside. And I've belonged to communes and, and have uh, been parts of groups and, and communities before. It tends not to work that great. What my plan is... Now, mind you, I did start off writing the book for exactly that scenario. 
I've been a survivalist since I was 16. So that's, you know, 45 years. And uh, I wrote an article for the Trends Journal, Gerald Salente's publication, called uh, Historical Cycles Are We Doomed to Repeat the Past? And it's based on my research into history because I, I love history. My first book is on history. And are we doomed to repeat the past? And what I discovered was that, like many historians, I had the same th theory, but I kind of combined them all together into one theory. And that is that society follows certain cycles, usually a four-stage cycle. And by all indications, we are at that stage in the cycle known as the collapse, as the end of the empire, entering into chaos. I mean, all the science are there. Look around, like you said, with the stock market. market. But it's not just the stock market. It's, uh, um, you know, we're going into a, a, a cold spell, a cold age, a, a mini ice age where we have problems with the crops, with the, uh, with the droughts and the floods. Food prices are going to go through the roof. But we also have a, a lot of problems with, uh, with society. We have the drug addiction. It's killing tens of thousands of people on OxyContin. We have the alcoholism. We have the alienation. We have massive suicide rates all over the country. The suicide rates have not been this high since the Great Depression. We have a government, all of our governments, all Western governments, United States, Canada, all of them are run by sociopaths and psychopaths. They're in there. We'll never get them out. And um, they are doing everything they can to destroy Western civilization. So we, we see the signs of rot everywhere. Increased crime, that's another thing. You know, I live here in, um, in Oakville. And we, you know, Oakville has traditionally been, you know, a little wasp bedroom community with very expensive mansions and no crime whatsoever. And, you know, we just had a bicycle stolen off our front yard a couple of days ago. Never happened. My, my neighbor is so shocked. He's, he, he's gone into PTSD. Somebody came into Oakville. <laughs> oh, my. Heaven and, fed, and for friend, bicycle. a stolen bicycle. Well, yeah I, yeah, I mean, that's the way it starts. It's the little, you know, it's the little crimes and uh, that lead to bigger things, I suppose. Uh, okay, so a lot of people, yeah, we, 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 we've, we've often talked on this program about uh, the, the existential threats uh, to Western civilization. And um, whether it's going to end in, a, in an abrupt bang, helped along by some cataclysmic event like an EMP or uh, who, who knows. But so let's get back to the, the idea then of, of forming a community. You don't like the idea of bugging out. So the idea is, I guess we're going to dig in, uh, stay put where you are. So then how do you form these communities? Do you reach out? I mean, again, are you looking for certain skill sets that you want to, you want to uh, connect with and befriend these people? Well, the, the, the first skill set that you would need is honesty and trustworthiness. Now, this is going to be difficult. You know, my solutions in this book will solve you know, most of our problems, most of society's problems, and it will enable us to survive no matter what happens, if it's an EMP or if it's an economic collapse or if it's a breakdown of law and order. We can survive that, but there's one big, giant hurdle to overcome, and that is we need to trust each other, and we need to be trustworthy. 
And this is a problem. We, you know, part of the decay of our society has been the educational system and the popular culture, the, the media, the music, the movies, all of which has been specifically designed on purpose. And this is, you know, the conspiracy part of this story by a, a cabal of people that want to destroy our civilization. And so what they've done is they specifically did human behavioral programming to turn most people or many people into pathological narcissists that are incapable of working together, incapable of sacrificing for each other, and incapable of trusting people. They've done this on purpose, and this goes way back. Um, Peter Kropotkin, who is uh, an anarchist, whom I, uh, uh, you know, is the source of many of my ideas for this book, wrote that the governments of the world have always hated mutual aid societies. They've hated independent, self-reliant communities. They don't like that. They want everybody dependent on the state so that they can control you better. If you can do things on your own and, and you're self-sufficient and you don't need the government to, to run your life for you, then the government has no hold over you. And by the government, I mean the state, whatever, you know, whatever political ideology they pretend to follow, it doesn't matter. The government is the state. The state is a monolithic power. It's a psychopathic influence in the world. And the people that are attracted to the power of the state are nasty people and they only want the worst for us. So they have always been suspicious of communities. And he even talks about back in the 1700s, how the governments went into the farming communities, because in those days they had what they called farming villages. And all the people that lived in the village owned the farmland in common. So it wasn't one farmer had, you know, 10 acres here and another farmer had 10 acres there. The entire village owned all of the farmland in, in, in community. It's uh, uh, in common. And they would all share in the work and they would all share in the profit. It was an ideal system, as Peter Kropotkin said. It, was, it looked after its members. And you could best describe this as communalism, not to be confused with communism. Now, what right, I was going to say, because it does sound on the surface, at least a little bit like a collective, which I mean, invariably, I mean, in the in the very beginning of the, uh, you know, shortly after the pilgrims arrived in the United States, there was a bit of an experiment with that collectivism. And it it, it failed horribly because, uh, you know, people, they took more than they should have and they worked less than they, they should have. And some people got tired of doing all the work. And and uh, and, and so ultimately these things fail collectivist movements. But how how is this different? Well, it's different because it's it's anar uh, it's an anarchic uh, structure. There is no hierarchy, and there's also charters and rules that you have to follow. You have to contribute. And again, these these communities, the people knew each other very well. So it would be very embarrassing to shirk your responsibilities to the community to the community, because then you know you stood the risk of being ostracized which was the only kind of punishment available because they didn't believe in capital punishment or corporal punishment. And in other words, you'd they, be forced out of the village. You would be, in other words, yes, you could be forced out of the village. This, um, you know, this same thing happened in China where they've had this village, uh, community 
uh, structure for thousands of years. And to this day, if you don't belong to a community, you are viewed with suspicion because they figure you were ostracized from a community for not contributing enough. So, it, yes, it's a fine balance line. Now, what communism did was take the success of these communalisms, uh, the communities, and say, this is what we're going to give to you. And, of course, then they turn the table and uh, instead you get a tyranny and mass starvation and mass murder. But the reason communism became popular was because they would hide behind the success stories of communalism. And it's, it's, again, it's not a collective because the difference between it is in communism you have a central authority. And in a community there is no central authority. Nobody's the boss. Nobody's the head man. Everything is done uh, in a democratic method. Everybody votes on an, every major change. But they are also sort of like a Republican or a republic. There are there is a charter that the community draws up, the founding members, everybody signs on to it, and that charter can't be changed. So you can vote, you know, uh, on, on certain details, but you can't vote to suddenly turn the entire community into a armed camp or something like that. It, it, you still have to obey the common laws and rules that everybody agrees to. And people that join these communities have a copy of the charter and they have to agree to it and sign to it. So there is no central authority that will you know, rule as a tyranny and, and control things. And if there are people that can't contribute because they're sick or they got injured that's not a problem. That's all already taken into the, uh, it's part of the charter. And I will include such charters in the book so that you don't have to write one up yourself. You can just copy what I've already written, add your name to it. It's, it, it's pretty straightforward and uh, very egalitarian. Everybody has equal opportunity. And so if there are people that can't contribute at one time, that's not a problem because that's the whole point of the community, that during hard times when people are injured or sick or unable to work and contribute, then the community comes together and supports them. But we, don't live, in, we don't live in an agrarian society for the most part. So then how do you, on what basis would you form this mutual aid society? Well, that's the other thing is that, uh, you know, the idea is that we're going to, I'll move to a big farmland and we'll work together that way. But we can work together aut autonomously in communities. We don't have to live together. We don't have to get a big house together. So long as we can work together and we can form a community and that community has to be flexible. What we're going up against, whatever is coming down the pipe for us, whatever sort of catastrophe, your best ability to survive it is to be able to be fluid and adapt to the circumstances. It's the old Chinese adage, be like water. And so a community, and what differentiates my ideas on, on this with the, the old agrarian ideas, is that our community, so long as you have a core group of people that trust and work together, then you can morph that community to deal with whatever uh, um, um, tra tragedy or problem that you may have. So, for example, I live here in Oakville. Let's say I get five families. They might live a block away. They might live a mile away. They might live two miles away. Now, right now, we're not 
you know, under attack from a foreign power and the grid is still up. Everything is fine, except the cost of food is going through the roof. <clears throat> so <clears throat> what I can do with this community is we can morph into a buying group. So we all pool our grocery money instead of everybody going by themselves to the store and, and paying for groceries. We pool it together. We buy a, a membership at Costco or we can form a nonprofit and call it the Oakville Food Bank or the o Oakville Food Co-op and apply for a wholesaler's license. Even if we just sell it to our own five families, now the cost of rising food costs, we can cut those costs in half just by working together. And we don't have to live together. We don't have to be in the same house. As long as we're within, I recommend, you know, a 20-mile radius of each other. So long as you all live within 20 miles, and, and the reason I say 20 miles is that's how much how far you can walk in one day. Ah. So everything collapses, and um, you know there's nothing available, and, and now you're starving and cold and hungry. At least you can walk to the next nearest member's right. house. We're going to take a, a quick time out here, uh, Stefan Stefan Verstappen, and uh, he is working on this new book. And actually, a little bit later, he's going to tell you how you can help him complete uh, this guide to uh, building communities, forming mutual aid societies, and how you can do it right now. You don't have to wait for some disaster, some uh, cataclysmic event. You can form a, a food co-op right now, a food bank. Uh, become a food wholesaler and uh, cut down the cost of uh, groceries. All right, we'll uh, come back and continue to delve into this fascinating area. Stay with us right here on The Conspiracy Show. Fasten your seatbelt and put your tray in the upright position. You're about to leave everything you know behind on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Say hello on Twitter at Richard Serrett, S-Y, because I love you, R-E-T-T. I'm also on uh, Facebook. Uh, just uh, search Strange Planet with Richard Serrett, Strange Planet with Richard Serrett, and uh, also on Instagram. And uh, Stefan Verstappen is uh, with us. His uh, book, well, it's, it's in the development stage. He's working on it, and uh, it's called uh, The Complete Guide to Forming Communities for Mutual Aid, Support, and Charity. And uh, there are charters and other uh, sort of templates for um, various uh, documents in there that, for example, um, you mentioned, Stefan, that you could form a wholesaler uh, type group. And so you can cut down on the, on the price of food by getting, let's say, five, ten families together. You, you apply for a wholesaler license, a wholesaler's license or a, a food co-op, and then you could get, obviously, a reduced price on your groceries and then sell it amongst yourselves so is there, a, is there a document in there, a template to help you actually apply for that license? Yeah, I'll have documents in there. And I also discussed the, the pros and minuses of various ways that you could incorporate such a group, whether you want to incorporate. There's three sort of variations, unincorporated, incorporated, and nonprofit. And depending on your circumstances and the people you're working with, you choose which one would work best for you. Most of the time, unincorporated is fine. Um, but in a case like a food co-op, then maybe registering as a, uh, a, a nonprofit and uh, 
But you can also register as a corporation and still get a wholesaler's license. So it's up to you. But I give you the pros and cons of each of the, those legal entities that you could choose to uh, uh, incorporate your, your your group in. And so they have benefits and and uh, and, and 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 minuses. Up to you how to do it. But so the the plan is then that this group or this community and. You could even start it with just two people. I recommend minimum five but uh, and maximum 200. But it's meant to be able to morph, to adapt as things get worse. So now probably what we're facing is going to be rising food costs. It's going to drive people to, to uh, you know, really suffer and do without. The other thing is, you know, I... I Two years ago, I went up north, Richard, you know, up to North Bay and Thunder Bay and Perry Sound. I drove around you know, the old cottage countries, and I was so depressed. Those those towns are all dead. You know, the Main Street, the, the shops are boarded up. You drive through the little subdivisions. Every other house has a for sale sign on it. I was talking to the waitresses at the roadhouse and, and, the, and the guys that were was renting the canoes and asking them, you know, how are things up here? How are you guys getting by? And you know what they all complained about was the unbelievable cost of hydro. Sure. They can't, they can't afford the electricity. And the one waitress said, well, you know, I used to live in, in, uh, in Thunder Bay, but I had to move to uh, Perry Sound to live with my sister because I can no longer afford the hydro on my house in Thunder Bay. Now, you can't so form a co-op to, 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 to buy energy, or can you? Well, you can. There's, ah. there's co-ops, and they, they've done this in the United States. There's co-ops that will come together to buy fuel oil, and they'll get it at a, at, at a bargain. So then you might have to convert your house over to, to oil, heat, or, or propane, uh, because there's nothing we can do about the hydro. That's a monopoly here in Canada, and, and, and the last premier sure destroyed that. And now everybody's paying the price for it. But switch your heat over to propane or oil. And then the same group that you use to buy groceries for half price now also buys your heating oil for a huge discount. So you can afford to keep your house warm and to run and or propane. Um, and they've done that successfully in England where apparently many houses are on, on uh, oil heating. So even something like that, we can, again, if we work together, and we can even go further than that. We can, you know, support each other in putting up alternative energy sources. I'm not a big fan of solar panels or wind energy. I think they're a complete waste of time. But maybe you want to buy a generator, a good generator, and or buy one for each house and run it on diesel, which and then buy the diesel wholesale. Uh, so everybody's running a, a, a generator and running it on cheaper f fuel oil than you would pay if you bought the, the electricity straight off the grid. There's all kinds of ways you can morph this community. Now, as things get worse and worse, let's say now uh, another problem, health insurance. You know, We have our free health insurance here in Canada. I haven't been to a doctor in 40 years. I wouldn't go. Uh, so I have not availed myself of the free health care. But I can tell you from my experience in the United States, if you have private insurance, 
you get to go to five-star hospitals. You know, if you don't have private insurance, you're standing in a lineup with, with 200 people in front of you in the emergency room. Right. So, Which is an everyday might, occurrence here. <laughs> it, right. So what's happening now here? I mean, it was good for a while. I remember back in the 70s and the 80s, you know, the, the medical system here was Okay, you know, you could right. get a doctor, you could go into the emergency room, and probably somebody would see you in two hours. Well, it's, Forget like, about- it's like all socialism, uh, socialistic systems. They all work wonderfully at first because basically the government is stealing other people's money. And mm-hmm. uh, but then, as Margaret Thatcher said, eventually you run out of other people's money. Uh, and that facade quickly, you know, then there's the, 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 the collapse begins. And, and that's what's happening with our healthcare system. It's unsustainable. It is unsustainable. It's going to collapse eventually. And so you have two alternatives. How do we uh, get around this? How do we solve this problem for ourselves and our families and our communities? Well, the answer to that goes back to the old friendly societies. Back in the 1800s and going all the way back to the 1600s, and even this goes back to Roman times when when mutual aid societies were called colleges, which is where we got the term college today. This is a thousand-year-old solution. What they did, but more importantly, what the mutual aid societies did, these were lodge systems. You became a member, you paid $5 a month, and for that $5 a month, you've got complete health care, unemployment insurance, and retirement benefits. The equivalent today, this is without inflation, equivalent today of about $5, $10 a month. That was your membership fee. <clears throat> Excuse me. And what they did with that money is they hired a full-time doctor. So if you got sick, the doctor would come to your house. Now, we used to have... Um, home visits from doctors. I remember when I was a little kid, five years old, once a doctor came to the house to check on me for an ear infection. They were called house calls. But that used to be quite common. You didn't go to a a clinic. You didn't go to the hospital. The doctor would take his little black bag and he would come to your house. So if you were sick at two o'clock in the morning, the doctor would be there at your door. And it was a good deal for the doctors because They got paid whether or not people were sick or not. So most of the time, they weren't really doing anything. And if somebody did get sick, then, you know, they were happy to to go and visit them and heal them. And they were paid by the mutual aid societies. Now, all this came to an end. And here we go again into the conspiracy. But the Rockefeller uh, Foundation and the American Medical Association ganged up to destroy this system. The American Medical Association decided they weren't going to license doctors that worked for mutual aid societies. Ah. Yeah, so that killed them. And then Rockefeller came in with uh, with the health insurance and and all kinds of crooked deals with Kaiser Permanente. And anyways, long story short, the mutual aid societies pretty much went out of existence because their purpose was to provide health care, unemployment insurance, welfare, death benefits, retirement plans. Uh, and in addition, they were so successful just with collecting a little bit of money from members that they built their own hospitals and they built orphanages and they built retirement homes. So you paid 10 bucks a month. Now you get 
exclusive access to your own private hospital. But how many how many community members or in this mutual aid society would you need for that to be sustainable? Well, they were in those days. Um, you know, they had local chapters, so something like the Goodfellows Society. There's still a few chapters around now. Um, mostly, they're in England. The the other nearest is the Foresters, and they still offer health insurance. You can get cheaper health insurance by becoming a member of the Foresters. And so, but they're in the uh, tens of thousands. But local chapters would be a couple hundred. 500, maybe 1,000 people for the local chapters. But in the 1800s, I believe it was 7 out of 10 people in the United States belonged to one of these organizations. And they had all kinds of funny names like the Royal Knights of Sidonia or whatever. Right. And the Daughters of Noah. But how would we do that today in in 2019, uh, Stefan, when you're – let's say you're forming a a co-op with – a dozen families, uh, a food co-op, and so forth. How how would this work for uh, for health health insurance? Well, what we, well, what we can do now is, um, and this is what I would recommend: if you've got you know five, ten families, so let's say you got fifty, maybe a hundred people, now go to a health insurance provider and get a group policy. If you got private health insurance, um, you get go to the head of the line here now, right? And uh, same in the United States, man, private health insurance. Uh, and in the States with this Obamacare, uh, unbelievable the rates that they're paying, you know, $1,400 a month for health insurance for a family. That's, that's a mortgage payment. And what do they get for that? Still the same crappy service we get here. <laughs> but if you had private insur- insurance, boy, I, I, my wife had private insurance. And when she got sick, she, we took her to a hospital. Oh, my God, it was like a five-star hotel. All right, I've got to take another time out. We will uh, come back and uh, continue to discuss how to form mutual aid societies, how to form support networks and communities, the complete guide to forming communities for mutual aid, support, and charity. Stefan Verstappen, my guest, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Providing the evidence and letting you draw your own conclusions. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Stefan Verstappen, Canadian author, researcher, adventurer, survivalist, and uh, his latest is The Complete Guide to Forming Communities for Mutual Aid, Support, and Charity. Now, um, you're looking to uh, to publish this. You're looking uh, for some assistance Tell people how they can help get this off the ground, Stefan. Uh, well, I have a uh, GoFundMe campaign. And see, the thing is, I, I work on, on uh, small commissions. Um, I, I do art projects. I do editing projects. And for me to take two months off to finish the book, I can't afford it. I, because I have to, I can't give up all these other little jobs which consume all my time to devote full time to fund to finishing off this book and you really need like a, a good month six weeks two months to finish it off i'm almost done i'm i'm three quarters of the way through you know i've, I've got half of it re- already recorded as an audio book if people want to co- listen to it chapters one and and two are available but i so i'm i'm, I'm looking to uh i need some money to buy me some time and then to go through the publishing and, and printing costs so 
I have a, a GoFundMe campaign and it's um, backslash how to create a community. So GoFundMe, how to create a community. And I offer lots of, uh, I'm not begging for money. What Whoever donates gets tons of books and calendars from me. So it all comes back to you in, in turn. And what I'm asking people to do is donate and get, and you'll get the first copy when it comes off the press. So basically I'm just selling advanced copies in order to finance the publication of the book. Right. So you go to GoFundMe and it's how to start a community? Yes. All right. Tell me about lending. Oh, sir. How to create, oh, a, community. How to Sorry, create how- a community. Sorry. How to create a community. Um, Tell me about lending circles and how they work. Well, lending circles, I learned about that when I lived in China because the Chinese, the Koreans, the Filipinos, the Japanese, they all use this. I remember seeing a, a, a news clip from the L.A. riots back, back in, the, in the 90s, 80s and 90s, and they were interviewing some uh, African-Americans and they were saying, uh, ask, why are they you know, attacking this Korean variety store, this K- Korean convenience store because it's all Koreans that own those shops and he says well how come they can come here and, and and buy a whole store and 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 we in the black community there's nobody here that owns a store well I can tell you how they did it they did it through lending circles they support each other so what happens with a lending circle and what the Koreans and the Chinese do and it's very common there is that they get again you know five ten families and everybody pitches in a certain amount of money every month Let's say it's a hundred bucks. Okay, so every month there's a hundred bucks. You got you know ten families, so a thousand bucks a month is being contributed to the to the pot. After a year, you got twelve thousand bucks, or if there's more, then there's more money. And then what people do is they bid on the money by offering a certain amount of return, like an interest rate. So let's say I want to borrow five thousand bucks from the pot to start a business. And uh, somebody else wanted to borrow 5000 bucks, but I'm offering 8% and they're only offering 6 Then they'll give it to me. Now, what else happens is, so now you've got your funding, you've got your, your, your uh, angel investor, basically, for your new business. Now, the other thing that happens is, is, you know, they'll buy a variety store, a convenience store. Now, everybody else in the lending circle, it's in their best interest to make sure this guy succeeds because they're going to get their 8% back. And um, so what they all do is they all contribute to making it run. I mean, they've got, you know, grandpa and grandma working in there. They've got the kids working, doing shifts because, you know, they keep those places open 12, 24 hours a day. Right. Uh, You know, everybody pulls a shift in there. Everybody in the community pulls a shift in there. But not only that, see, here's the other be- spinoff benefits is they now also have a wholesaler's license. So everybody in that lending circle now gets all their groceries wholesale. Aha. Uh-huh. Right? So everybody kicks in. Everybody supports each other. Now what happens is they make this business work. They run it for five years. Then they sell it. The money goes back into it, into the kitty. Now the next thing they buy is a motel. Right. And right. Again, they all put in a shift, you know, the grandkids clean the rooms, grandma takes uh, works in the kitchen and yeah, everybody you know supports it to make it a success because they get their money back plus the interest it's that ingenious. they have. It's ingenious. 
Right. Plus, they get all the benefits that, you know, if, if somebody in the family wants to get married, well, they got a venue for free now. They don't have to pay you know, five thousand dollars for a hotel. Everybody benefits from it because it, it, the wealth is spread back through the community. It's genius. It Richard. is. It is. Let and me. We, and these things, yeah. would, this would this would run smoothly when when society as a whole is running smoothly. When, for example, if you form a, a food wholesale group, as long as the, the, the groceries are being delivered to the stores uh, and you can access those. But what happens when things go really south and money doesn't, m- money doesn't mean anything anymore and, and groceries aren't in the, on the store shelves anymore? I was just going to get to that. So, as we go through the progression of these communities, we start off with smaller problems like, you know, rising cost of food and health care. But now we start to get into the more serious problems. So let's say the, the grocery store is closed down. The, you know, it could happen a number of different ways. You could, the grid could go out. I mean, I've been here a couple of times during a power blackout, you know, for eight days without hydro here in Toronto. And guess what? All the local grocery stores are closed because they can't process uh, credit cards or, or payments. Besides, the fridges aren't working and the, the food's going rotten. So Right, and major centers are on just-in-time delivery. I mean, the, we have probably, what, maybe 48 hours of food supply in the city, in the big cities. We're going to take another time out. This was a short segment. We'll come back and go uh, right to the top of the hour. And if you're good for it, uh, Stefan, I was going to do open lines in the second hour, I, uh, but maybe, can I get you to hang on into the oh, second sh- hour? Yeah, I told all my followers, call in. Excellent. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll also open up the lines in the second hour and take questions and comments, but we'll keep this going. All right, Stefan Verstappen is uh, telling us how to build or create a community, how to create a community when times get tough. We'll be back with more of this discussion right after this. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. Take a look around. What do you really see? This is where you can tell all about it. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. Say hello on Twitter at Richard Serrett, S-Y, because I love you, R-E-T-T. And uh, Stefan Verstappen is with us. We're going to carry him on into the second hour as we continue to discuss uh, how to create communities and mutual um, aid uh, groups, mutual support uh, groups in order to deal with uh, catastrophic, catastrophic events, for example. So, uh, before we get back to, uh, Stefan, let me just uh, give a, a shout out here to a couple of my, uh, Patreon supporters in the Star Chamber tier, Denny Bladell and Kirk Shamel. Denny and Kirk, thank you so much for your ongoing and loyal support every month. It means so much to us. And also, I want to welcome a new Patreon, uh, uh, donor in the, uh, that's the Truth Seeker tier, Demetra Antimiserius, Demetra Antimiserius, uh, thank you so much. And uh, uh, because you joined in the month of December, Demetra, we're going to send out a Strange Planet mug your way. So be on the lookout for that. Thank you so much. All right. Uh, so, St- uh, Stefan, we were talking about these uh, lending circles, and which is absolutely ingenious. Uh, and then I was asking you about, okay, so that's fine as long as we have some sort of, um, you know, civil uh, order in society. But what happens when that breaks down? What happens, let's say there's a, an EMP event uh, or a total financial uh, meltdown? What happens then? Well, this is the original per- 
what I started off writing the book for, how to deal with that type of scenario. And as I, so that part of the book is already finished. I gave a lot of thought what to do, you know, end of the world scenario with an EMP or crashing of the grid or mass pandemic, you name it, whatever it is. And that's how I started writing the book. And I finished that chapter first. But then I was going through the material and my research, and I realized that, well, maybe it's not the end of the world, but we have a lot of problems right now. And that's when I started to adapt the same principles that I would use for a, a catastrophic scenario, a disaster scenario. The same principles can be used to solve the smaller disasters, which we've already covered to some degree. So now let's say it is now very serious, a, a national disaster. So first of all, your community must be committed to a certain disaster preparedness program. And I've written it all out. It's very easy to follow. I have three levels of preparedness, level one, level two, level three. And all it's very simple to remember. Level one means you have three days worth of food, medicine, and uh, uh, heating oil, whatever you need, and shelter materials. So for three days, you can eat. For three days, you've got the medicine that your, 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 your diabetic auntie needs. And uh, for three days, you'll be able to stay warm. Level two is three months or uh, three weeks. Sorry. So now for almost a month, you've got enough food for a month and enough medicine stored up, antibiotics, things like that. And then level three is three months. So a quarter year, uh, enough food, enough medicine to last you for three months. Now you can get to this gradually. I mean, stock up three days worth of food. Come on, take you a weekend. Go to the grocery store uh, tomorrow. And, and buy three days' worth of food. So, great. Now, next month or next week, buy another three days' worth of food. And the week after that, another three days' worth of food. Now, at the end of the month, you've got three weeks' worth of food. So, and you just keep going. You know, it's not like a huge output. I, you spend, uh, when I go to the grocery store, I spend an extra five bucks. Extra five bucks buys me three cans of canned mushrooms and two cans of cream of mushroom soup. You know, and then the next week I'll spend five bucks. I'll get, you know, 50 packs of ramen noodles and some canned peas and so on. And you build it up slowly. It's, you don't need to spend a lot of money. But what your community must have is a basic preparedness level. Then would you form a we, committee Would you within your within your community? Do you have committees sort of like a level one disaster committee, a level two disaster committee, a level three? No, not based on the level of disaster, but on on the functions of of uh, on survival functions. So you have basically five survival functions that you need, and it's based on the the law of three, which states you can live three minutes without air, you can live uh, three hours without shelter, you can live three days without uh, uh, water, and three weeks without food. So what I've done is I've created a community that uh, I'm sorry, a team. And even one person could be a team. Up, up to you how many people you have. You got five people in your community. Good. Everybody's head of something. And those, uh, those survival needs are, number one, medical. So you need somebody that's got some medical skills. Like you said, you wish you knew a doctor. Well, <clears throat> maybe you don't know a doctor, but have an EMT or a home, home nursing assistant or 
someone who has so any sort of medical training, who could dress a wound, who could who could um, set a, a broken a bone, uh, who could uh, hopefully, you know, someone who who, who could remove uh, a gallbladder uh, or um, or uh, I don't know, an infected um, spleen or something. I don't know. You're going to have to have you have someone who's capable of doing those sorts of things. Well, it'd be nice if you could, but it, it's not likely. Now, when I was living in California, my best friend was an emergency room doctor. So we had access to all the equipment and antibiotics and Novocaine, you name it. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, a lot of that I can do because I've been studying up on it. Right. And um, so whoever decides, whoever in your community has the most medical experience, right? So now you tell them to study up on it, get, read up on some of the books. I haven't s- stitched up a wound myself, but I've read enough books on how to do it that I'm pretty confident that I can stitch up a wound. Uh, I can do, you know, I can set a leg, I can splint, I can s- secure a, a spinal cord injury, things like that. So you have one person that's going to take over the medical functions, and it's his responsibility or her to put together a good first aid kit and everybody in the community chips in a couple of bucks to buy the medical supplies that again, it's like a buying community, a lending circle, but now you're focusing on survival skills and equipment. And, uh, you know, you can decide yourself. Do you want to go for a level one? Are you good for three days? Then we'll do that. It takes you a month to get to that level. But if you're more serious, and again, it depends on the way things look. If you see society getting really bad, really fast, well, then up your survival level as quickly as you can, right? In the beginning, maybe you say, well, okay, everybody's going to throw in 10 bucks a week to reach a certain level of preparedness. But now you look at what's going on. There's war, there's riots, there's anarchy, there's revolutions. Okay, let's have everybody kick in 100 bucks a week. Okay, you know, so that's your your medical team, but you also have uh, you have security needs as well, especially if, if, if things get rather chaotic. Exactly. So the next the next team is shelter. You need that be warm. And, and again, I'm writing this from a Canadian perspective and the damn winters here. Oh, my God. So the second uh, need is shelter. You need somebody that knows that either has an extra garage that they can heat, that people can come to and stay in the garage or have a large house, have a family room in the basement. You can put five, six people in there. Um it's their responsibility to get extra blankets, make sure there's a fireplace, they got firewoods, they've got uh, cots and mattresses and tents. So that's shelter team. You need somebody to take care of that. Third one is nourishment. Somebody that looks after, makes sure you have, you need fresh water. Uh, now, here in Canada, we don't have a problem. I got lakes and rivers all over, me, all around me. I know how to purify water. I, I, water's not a problem for me. But you know, you need food and water. And so somebody's in charge of that. And that person might be in charge of buying all the groceries for the community, all the emergency uh, um, food supplies. Now you can store those emergency food supplies in the basement of your local church or, um, you know, Joe's house has a big garage and it's you know, he's got a lot of room to store stuff there. Let me just uh, ask you, sorry to interrupt, but something just occurred to me. The shelter team. If you all have your own houses, why do you need a shelter team? Is it in case, I mean, is it advisable at some point when the Shinola hits the fan that you're all going to gather under one roof? That might be a possibility. And that, that gets into the security team as well. So before we get to security, there's one more, and that's communications. 
So right now, what you were saying, how can we form this kind of a community you know, right now uh, in this day and age? Well, right now, we've got the internet. You can set, form your community, put up a, a, you know, a, a blog spot, web page, and uh, have a password so only community members can sign in and they can post comments. But if the internet goes down, that's why you need a communications team. So while things are good, communications team runs the uh, the website and but if the website goes down now you've got the second fallback the redundancy is a telephone tree have you heard of a telephone tree yes i'm familiar with those okay so now again communications team is responsible for operating a telephone tree calling everybody how are you doing are you okay for food is anybody sick we need somebody to come over and look after you you want to come and move into the basement for a couple of weeks so that's all the job of communications okay we're going to stop it there we're going to head into the uh, the next hour top of the hour we'll keep stefan verstappen uh, with us we'll open up the phone lines questions comments and uh, we'll continue to delve into how to build the these communities how create how to create communities not only for uh, disasters, uh, but we'll also get into how this is uh, also a method of perhaps fighting back against the new world order. We'll discuss on the other side. Stay with us. Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Thanks for inviting me into your home. Long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed rec room with the simulated paneling electric fireplace and the painting of dogs playing poker, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. And again, happy Hanukkah and a very Merry Christmas to you all and a big howdy. To all of you listening in on our flagship station, AM 740 and 96.7 FM, Zoomer Radio here in Toronto. Hiya to those of you tuning us in on one of our affiliate stations across North America. And hey, you streaming us at zoomerradio.ca and those of you catching the YouTube live stream at Strange Planet. And hi there to those of you in the YouTube live chat. However, and wherever you're listening. I bid thee the warmest of welcomes, and I thank you for your fine company. Uh, we are going to continue on uh, with our discussion with uh, writer, researcher, adventurer, survivalist Stefan Verstappen as uh, we continue to discuss how to create communities uh, in times of strife, disaster. And he is working on a new book. In, uh, it's, uh, it's a crowdfunded project. It's called The Complete Guide to Forming Communities for Mutual Aid, Support, and Charity. And um, the, uh, the, the book uh, also will feature sort of template documents, how to form a, 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 a charter or how to write a charter uh, for members of your community, almost like a constitution. Think about it's almost as if you're creating sort of a miniature version of your, your, your provincial or, or, or federal government. You're replacing that. Uh, with various uh, committees of food committees and, and, uh, and, and shelter teams and nourishment teams and health teams, etc. Uh, all right, Stefan, in the last hour, uh, let's see now, where did we leave off? Oh, the various teams. We were talking about the communication team. 
Right. So the communication team is then responsible for running a website that all members can access and, and update and find out what's going on and the progress of things. And hopefully at this stage, the your community, which might have started out as a lending circle, which might have started out as a, uh, a food co-op or a buying group, now they realize things are getting bad. And so they're going to slowly morph into more of a survivalist community. And then when you form into a survivalist community, you have to you have to get ready and you have to designate duties and responsibilities. And again, this is you know why it's really important to have this kind of a plan, because you can't get, you know, 20 people meet up at City Hall. Oh, my God, the world is burning down. What do we do? Well, who's going to do what? And what's your responsibility and what are your duties and who do you answer to and how do we solve all these different problems? This book will provide that plan in advance and it's it's very easy to follow and it's very clear so communications team right now okay let them run a website and if the website goes down they go to a telephone tree which means for those who don't know it if i need to get a hold of a hundred people i can't phone them all by myself it'll take me forever to phone everybody up but you set up a telephone tree where i phone two people and they phone each in turn phone another two people and they each in turn phone another two people. And so this way we can get a message to all members within half an hour. So I don't have to phone everybody. I just have to phone two people. And everybody, again, they spread the word up and down the chain. It's like a flow chart. And that's another way to communicate urgent information. You know, the grid's gone down. And let's say the phones are still working. But let's say the phones aren't working. You need to get shortwave radios they have a limited range 10 miles again one of the reasons why i say everybody should be within a 20 mile uh, radius so that we can work together you don't have to live on the same farm or in the same house or anything like that if, if the next guy in my team lives five miles away that's perfectly fine communications team can get a hold of them and of course we've got to pre-plan what frequencies to use and they can use uh, ham radio, and then again use a telephone tree system, so that the communication, the head of communications, if he needs to get out an urgent message, he gets on the ham radio. He calls the two, three closest people that will pick up his signal, and they in turn will broadcast to the two, three closest people to their signal. And again, so you've got communications. All right, so everyone in the in the community should then be a uh, an amateur or a ham radio operator they need to learn how to do that and if well and it's a lot easier now because you don't have to learn morse code right and also in an emergency you don't need uh, a license to broadcast you can broadcast in an emergency so you don't even need to you just need to know how to answer the the the, the, the radio and how to broadcast and what frequency to be on that's all you need to know we have to designate this ahead of time so we're going to go, you know, VHF, 1400 hertz or something like that. And everybody in your community knows that's the, the, the station to tune into. And even if they don't have a uh, transmitter, a scanner will do fine. So long as they can receive the messages, um, then they can know what's going on. Right. And finally, security team. Now, each of these teams have multiple duties when i say nutrition or shelter that's the primary responsibility but the secondary and tertiary responsibilities 
encompass all facets of, of life. For example, shelter team is responsible for community morale. They, they, are, they should organize activities for the kids, play, play times. They should you know, run game nights or a music night or you know, a barbecue uh, or a campfire. And, and, you know, things that would bring the community together and give them something to do. The shelter team is also responsible for counseling for PTSD. People are going to be freaking out. They're going to be nervous. They're going to have panic panic attacks. Who do you go to talk to? Well, you go to talk to the people that are in the shelter team, because not only is their responsibility to make sure you're warm and dry and safe, you, you know, your mental and, and, phys- and emotional well-being is under their responsibility, too. And with communications, yes, they got to know how to run, you know, uh, electronic devices, telephone, website, uh, uh, ham radio. But because those systems require electricity, communications team is also responsible for alternative electricity, whether it's a pedal bike that they can recharge everybody's cell phone or whether they improvise a uh, a hydro turbine in the creek out back or, you know, they use a combination of wind turbines and and, uh, solar panels to run a battery system and people can come and recharge or they run the generator and they bring that generator around. Do you have information? Uh, because you've got a, in addition to this book, you have uh, a lot of uh, articles and PDFs on the survival um, topic. Do you have instructions on how to build generators and so forth? Absolutely. So I offer, I offer a download uh, if you uh, purchase uh, my download. It's called the Survival Library. And what I'm doing is I'm selling my books. So you get all of my books, my uh, eight books plus the the home encyclopedia from 1882, which is, you know, if we do without electricity, guess what? You're going to wake up tomorrow in 1882. And they had a very good life back in 1882. They didn't suffer very much at all. And so we'll just have to adopt those techniques. So all those books, there's five, six books, strategy and, and secret work. So if you buy my five books in PDF download, I throw in for free 280 manuals. And these manuals are divided up into the five categories that we've, we've talked about. So there's you know, 36 books on, on uh, first aid, emergency medicine, uh, emergency surgery, how to do stitches, improvised antibiotics, improvised painkillers, uh, herbal medicines. All those manuals are in there under the title of um, a medical team. Um, same thing with um, communications team like we just talked to. There's like a dozen blueprints for improvising all kinds of alternative energy sources. It's not enough to run a city or a house, but it's enough to recharge your batteries, enough to run the computer for a while, enough to get the radio up and operating and you know, everything from wind turbines to water turbines to um, how to make your own chemical batteries out of everyday items, things like that. Under right. um, under nourishment team, there's all kinds of books on horticulture and hydroponics, how to grow food indoors, outdoors, how to integrate different food systems together, fish, ponds, fishing, livestock, chickens, rabbits, how to raise them, how to you know, look after them if they're sick. So all those books, you know, there's like 60 books under each category. 
I mean, and that's why you need to keep the, the smartphone running or the or the iPad running or the the tablet because you you got to be able to read all these books. Right. But Let me go back so to secu- you- sorry, uh, Stephen. I want to yeah. go back to security now for a moment because this can get a little dodgy. Because, um, well, how, I mean, how do you how do you uh, suggest we provide security for ourselves? Uh, I mean, we have police forces and so forth. You, you know, we can't we can't be forming militias. We don't have a Second Amendment up here. Well, you don't need one, and uh, yes, you yes we can form militias, except. The only thing is you don't call it a militia <laughs> part of, you know, this book is, is based on the old mutual aid society for, formula. But what I've done is I've adapted it so that it is survivable under tyranny and uh, under a police state and under big brother and under the new world order. So the security team, yes, security should be provided. And like I said, some of the offs, uh, offshoot duties of security team is search and rescue. You know, what if somebody goes missing? You know, Bob hasn't checked in communications team, radioed Bob. Did he have a heart attack? Did he somebody, you know, roving gangs of looters break into his house? Who's going to go check? Well, security team is going to go check. So security team is going to be made up of your toughest guys. The ones that have the most skills, you know, former firefighters, former police officers, uh, forestry workers, um, you know, um, guys that are in pretty good shape. Now, here in Canada, we're still allowed to purchase firearms. For how much longer, I don't know, but um, I would recommend everybody get a firearm. It's even if it's something as simple and innocuous as a bolt action 22 rifle with a pink stock <laughs> they, they make them for girls. It's all pink. I mean, it looks ridiculous, but as long as you have some kind of firearm. And the reason I say that is for me, firearms have two purposes. One is hunting. So even with a 22 caliber bolt action, you can still shoot squirrels and raccoons. And that's probably all you're going to hit anyways. Um, but, and rabbits, but people live off of that. That's how the early pioneers, the voyageurs, uh, survived, you know, they ate beaver and, and raccoon and squirrels. Um, yeah, deer when you can get it, but you know, it's it's not like you walk in the woods and there's a deer for you. Right. You can spend weeks in the woods and not see a deer, right? Absolutely. <laughs> so you're going to be shooting small game and then fishing and things like that. So security team is in charge of hunting. I mean, they're, they should have a firearm, but their primary uh, use of that firearm is probably in securing protein for the community, which is, you know, hunting for animals. Now, the secondary purpose is, yes, as a community watch, as a private police force. So we're not talking a militia. People, when they talk about militia, I get this image that there, you know, there's 50 guys with machine guns in the woods fighting government forces. No, that's not going to happen. And that won't work anyways. If you do that... You're not going up against government forces in a revolutionary movement. You are going to get destroyed. But I'm not talking about government revolution. I'm thinking more in lines of what we have seen. For example, Hurricane Katrina in in, in Louisiana there in New Orleans. Well, look what happened. You know, within, within hours, roving gangs of looters are breaking down doors and robbing people and raping and murdering. That's more likely than 
you know, we have to suddenly. Right. You know, We're talking about a total breakdown in, in, in uh, civility and, and order. Exactly. Right. So now security team, and again, they got to coordinate with communications. Um, they're the ones that are like a, a, a fast action response group. So let's say I get a, a you know, uh, Bob, you know, three blocks away, he, he calls and he says, look, there's gangs going up and down the street. They're breaking down doors and they're robbing the places blind. So, okay, what's the best course of action? Well, we could bring Bob and his family to my house here. That might be an option. But in the meantime, I'm going to send three guys with shotguns over to Bob's house. And either, you know, they'll uh, uh, defend Bob's house. Because a lot of these, you know, criminals are cowards. You've got to understand these people are not heroes. And uh, the only reason they're going door to door breaking them down is because the people inside don't have guns. You fire one shot through the door at them and they all go to the next door neighbor. They, they'll leave you alone. Um, so if you got three guys there and Bob and his family, so now you got, you know, you got half a dozen guys that are armed and uh, all you have to do is fire a couple of shots in the air and they will tend to leave you alone. But if that doesn't happen, okay, then you've got three or four guys there. We might have to call in a few other people uh, to bring some, some vehicles. We pick up Bob and his family and we bring them over here. Now we've got 15 guys here with guns. We have a better chance of defending this location. Where I live now is very defensible. You know, we're uh, way off the road. You know, we've got a heavy brick you know, field stone house. You know, we're bulletproof. So uh, maybe you're better off here for a couple of weeks. Now, Stephen, let's say that people, you know, follow this advice and they start to form their own communities. What if you've got 5,000 competing communities uh, just in in the city of Oakville, for example, and 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 then uh, you know there's a, some sort of a cataclysmic event. Now you've got five thousand competing communities, and they're all they're, you know in a limited number of uh, a limited amount of resources, a limited amount of protein, for example. Uh, you know, so uh, one community uh, runs into another community, and they're both they're both trying to get the same deer. You know what I'm saying? You can get you can have conflict. Well, yes and no. I know that the, the popular theory is that when things get really tough, everybody will be going around shooting each other and eating each other. <laughs> you know, you see that in all the movies about, you know, uh, post-apocalyptic scenarios. Everybody's a cannibal. Everybody's killing each other. But you know what? It, I don't believe that will happen. And I'll tell you why. Because I can give you a scenario, complete breakdown of law and order, all the resources destroyed, villages, cities, no law and order, no food, no medicine, no hospitals, no schools, no electricity, no heating oil. And you know what? People did not kill each other. And that is Europe during World War II. I know my family lived through the war, and I heard all the stories when I was over there. And, and you know, towards the end of the war, it was really bad. I, again, half of Europe was burned out husk. There were guns lying all over the place, burned out tanks. So there was huge access to weapons and um, food was very scarce. Most people were starving at the end of the war. The French were starving. The Germans were starving. The Dutch were starving. And did they all murder each other? They didn't. You know, so long as you have a homogenous community, the tendency is under that kind of stressful condition 
for people, it, it brings out the best and the worst. So there's going to be, you know, 10% of these people, they're just going to lose, lose it completely and they'll turn savage. But the 90% will work closer together. They'll help each other. So I really don't think, first of all, there's no way that Oakville is going to have 5,000 communities. But also, it's part of my plan, because I've thought of this, is that all these autonomous communities pool their resources and work together and barter and trade. So let's say my community happens to be, because I live right next to the river and I can throw a, a, a net in there, I got salmon coming right up the creek here. I hear them in the summertime splashing up the creek. So I could throw a net in here and get more salmon than I could possibly eat. So I can barter that protein with another neighboring community that maybe has a bigger backyard and they've grown more corn. So I'm going to barter my salmon for their corn. It makes sense. Right. right. Uh, You're going to have to have your own flags so you can identify different communities. It, it is like they, they will be like miniature countries, right? A nation state. Well, miniature corporations, really, you know, except it's a free trade. Everybody has the option to, to, to trade and then you can trade services. Let's say, you know, I've got uh, Bob here really knows how to fix uh, generator engines and their generator is out. So I send Bob over there to fix the uh, fix their generator, and re- in return, they uh, Bob brings back uh, you know five hundred rounds of uh, of ammunition. So it makes more sense because everybody's going to have strong points and weak points. But if you have you know, let's say there's a dozen communities here in Oakville, and we know of each other, we know which frequency to contact each other in, we know the, the names of the leaders of each of the teams, and we know the, the, the strengths and weaknesses. So, you know, I've got some good medical skills. If somebody gets hurt over there, I'm perfectly willing to go over there and bandage them up and do what I can to stabilize them. All right, Stephen, and- i got to jump in here again. We'll take another time out, come back. And um, we need to talk about uh, some other areas. Uh, for example, education. How are we going to educate our young people? We'll do that uh, on the other side as we continue to discuss the complete guide to forming communities for mutual aid, support, and charity. Stefan Verstappen, my guest, right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Welcome back. Just a reminder, my podcast, Conspiracy Unlimited, new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com. To listen and subscribe, conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com. New episodes every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. We just celebrated uh, the second anniversary, and we've surpassed 4 million unique downloads. And it's really starting to chart on uh, on Apple, uh, for example. It's in the top 250 podcasts in the news and politics category in the U.S. You can imagine there are tens of thousands, perhaps more, uh, podcasts in this category. It's now... Uh, I think in the top 250 in the U.S. Uh, Coming up next week on the program, UFO disclosure advocate Stephen Bassett will be here. 
along with Victor Vigiani from Zealand News Network. And obviously, we'll be talking about uh, disclosure. Uh, next week's show will, uh, will be our final program for 2019. Our final program of 2019. And, uh, of course, we'll have more great shows coming your way throughout 2020. Uh, this hour, we're going to, um, we're going to move open lines to next week. Uh, there's so much here to discuss with uh, author, researcher, survivalist Stefan Verstappen. And his new book uh, is The Complete Guide to Forming Communities. I wanted to ask you about education. This is something I know a little bit about because uh, we homeschool our, our, our twin boys. And in fact, uh, we are part of a homeschooling co-op. Uh, one day a week, a bunch of parents get together. It was organized by a wonderful uh, uh, woman up in Markham. And uh, so the uh, the parents pooled our resources. And on Mondays, we hired a couple of teachers. Um, we rent out a church basement. And, you know, not, not all homeschoolers are equipped to teach certain subjects. So, so for example, you know, physics and biology, I, I really can't do that at home. So we hired a physics teacher. Um, I teach logic. Uh, we have a gymnasium. So, you know, on every Monday they have uh, gym and physics and uh, and logic. So that's a homeschooling co-op. Is that the same type of thing that you're you're suggesting for education? That That's exactly what I'm suggesting. I'm really proud of you, Richard, because that is a, exactly what I'm suggesting. And for a number of reasons. Number one, the major problem in our society is our public education system. It's not there to educate people there. It's there to indoctrinate them into a socialist, communist ideology that's destroying Western civilization. I've never seen more numbers of dumb people going to college than I have recently. It's not, they're not there to get an education. They're there to be indoctrinated. And not only indoctrinated into this, you know, leftist type of political ideology, they're also indoctrinated to be consumers and narcissistic and selfish. You know, I, I've seen it now with a lot of my friends, because like I said, I'm 62, and I know a lot of my friends, they had kids. And when the kids were, you know, 6, 10, they were adorable. They were really nice. Now they're all 16, 17, 18, 20, and they're just awful people. They don't care about their parents. All they care about is money. All they care about is self-aggrandizement. All they care about is selfies and, and getting the most expensive fashion and makeup. And I mean, they're just horrible people. They give nothing back to their families, nothing back to their communities. They don't seem to care about anything or anyone but themselves. It's awful, but that's how they are trained in our educational system. And so for me, the education system is one of the worst things I call it child abuse. To send your child to public school is child abuse. So a big part of my strategy for this guide to forming communities is homeschooling. And I, I, I lay out exactly what you are doing. <clears throat> you get some families together. <clears throat> you go to a church basement or maybe you can rent a room at the library or rent a room at the community center if you need to hire teachers, uh, you know, for 30 bucks an hour to come in and teach for two, three hours a week, you can afford to do that because it and your children, we, we you know, study after study has shown that homeschooled children surpass public school children in every facet of learning their their subjects 
they, they score higher on every subject. But more importantly for me is that homeschooled children show greater empathy and greater ability to cooperate and work together. That's not something kids learn in public school. They don't learn empathy there. They learn everybody's in it for themselves, money, money, money. And so really the solution to a lot of our world's problems, because, you know, it's the next generation is, is really going down a bad road. The only way to stop it is to teach children real valuable lessons, not just, you know, mathematics and science, but also valuable lessons in empathy, mutual support, working together, caring about each other, giving back to the, not just the community, but to the world, to nature, you know? Right. And so what you have described, I have described in this book. Fantastic. Well, I mean, Let's face it, though, homeschooling isn't for everybody. So, But if you form a co-op, you don't necessarily have to teach your own child. Exactly, and that's what I But I you'll be hiring the, the teacher, and there'll be another parent. Exactly, and then, and then you can move it about, too, because I know the problem with homeschooling is, let's say uh, both parents work. Who's going to stay home with the kids? Um, you know, and nowadays everybody has to work because you, you got to pay the hydro bill for crying out loud. So, but by joining a co-op, a, 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 a homeschooling cooperative, then even if you can't teach your own kids, but you can donate, you know, 50 bucks a month or whatever it is, then your kids can go over to Aunt Betty's house three doors down because she's teaching her kids and she can take in your kids and you buy them lunches, and then if they get, then they can all go two days a week to the church, and you've hired a special teacher to teach a, spe- a specific topic there. I mean, we can work it out, you know. Right, and these are not, these are, uh, um, I, I, again, I know from firsthand experience that the people that are running a lot of these co-ops, these homeschooling co-ops, they're former, they're educators. They've dropped out of the public yep. school system, and now because yep. they've seen, you know, what's going on there. And they wanted, they want, so, you know, this is, it's like dropping really, it's like falling off the grid, isn't it? It's like, because you're, you're, you're dropping out of uh, sort of government services and so forth. And you're, and you're creating your own, uh, you know, board of education. You're creating your own, uh, uh, well, food co-op. We talked about that. Like healthcare system, et cetera. Uh, so how does this, how does this fight back against the new world order, which is really what the sort of the topic we, we, or the, the title we gave this, uh, this discussion tonight, how you can defeat the new world order by doing this. How, how does it fight back against globalism and the new world order? Boy, Richard, you keep reading my mind. You keep asking the question I'm just about to address. Um, so how does this affect the new world order? Listen, the problem is you have a thing called the state. You know, people call it the government, whatever. I don't, don't like the term government because it implies that we elect these people and things like that. We don't. They're put in place there by the psychopaths that print the money. And so everything has to follow their agenda. And their agenda for the world is total slavery. They love that stuff. I have a video out and a, and a, and a short booklet called Defense Against the Psychopath. In order to understand why the world is so screwed up, 
you need to understand the psychology of psychopaths. They're, 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 they're really not part of the human species because their mentation, the mentality is so completely different from ours. Most people can't understand them, but they're very dangerous and they're very successful because they will do anything to achieve power. They will lie, steal, cheat, murder, seduce, blackmail, bribe, whatever it is. These people have no moral compass whatsoever. So when they see power, power attracts psychopaths. Because psychopaths, their mentality, it's very easy to predict the psychopath. They love to see other people suffer. That's it. Whereas, you know, if you, you know, t- you know, you're playing with your kids and you're throwing a stick to the dog and you get a lot of joy from that. You know, a beautiful summer day out in the park and you're playing with the kids and they're in the, in, in the water, the, the, the water fountain and the dog's running around and the wife's cooking, uh, bringing out the picnic. I mean, this is beauty. This is love. This is what life should be. This is exactly what drives psychopaths crazy. They hate that. They hate happiness. They, nothing drives them crazier than to see Richard out with his family enjoying life. That drives them over the edge. They just hate you for that. And they want to destroy that. And so because they're attracted to power and because they're so ruthless, they will attain power. And what happens is every government is eventually controlled by these people. So now everything that the government controls is now twisted, it's degraded, it's mutated into something you can only describe as evil. So the government takes over education, and now we have six-year-old boys dressed as girls doing strip acts in, 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 in gay bars. That's the that's what you know. The Boy Scouts are gone. Well, the sexualization of children is certainly in the in in uh, in the schools uh, is yeah. It's it's not right. Yeah. Listen, we'll we'll uh, take another time out. We'll come back and continue to discuss how we can uh, build our own communities, forming communities, the complete guide to forming communities. Stefan Verstappen, my guest, right here on the Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. There is nothing concealed that won't be revealed. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. We are back with Stefan Verstappen, the author of The Complete Guide to Forming Communities, which he says offers plans and solutions to solve many of the problems plaguing Western society. Forming a support network in communities may be, he says, the only way to survive some kind of economic cataclysm or other natural or man-made disaster. And the ultimate goal of this guide, he says, is to help free us from the shackles of the new world order. And again, uh, this is a crowd-funded uh, project. How can people com- uh, contribute to the completion of uh, this book? Well, if they go to uh, gofundme.com forward slash how to create a community and um I'm just asking people to order an advanced copy. Order a, a PDF uh, for 10 bucks that will fund my uh, uh, process of completing this book. And it's taking so long because, as you can see, Richard, I mean, 
I've literally thought of everything. If this goes wrong, then what? If that fails, then how can we survive? If, you know, we're in competition with them, then what can we do to solve that? I'm going through every possible scenario and providing all the answers I can, but in an easy to follow way, because I know, I know people, we don't, people don't have time to go and research, you know, incorporations or charters or, or, uh, how to run a meeting or bylaws or I've even got like medical questionnaires that members should fill out so that, you know, when they're coming into your group, if they, if they have a medical problem, because medical team needs to be able to prepare for that. So if you've got a diabetic medical team knows that they should have extra insulin on hand and, and stockpile it for, for the team members. So it's, everything is like, but it's a very complex, it's, it's a lot of work to try and think of everything that could go wrong and find a solution for it. But the solution is ultimately teamwork, you know, and by doing what we do with the community, we separate as much as we can. It's not like bugging out to a, uh, a farmstead somewhere, you know, off grid, but it is off grid, but within the city within the suburb within the community that we live in now right we can go off grid right so i'm not because the, the, the whole problem with everybody going up to the farm is that man then you get infighting and and bob didn't wash the dishes for two weeks so let's go beat him up while he's sleeping you know right well here's it, here's a, a possible pitfall and that is you know we understand human nature uh and and i believe that Man is essentially, you know, we're 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 bad. We're we're uh, we are um, we're liable to do bad things. And when when um, when things get bad, sometimes you know we can be at our best, but we can also be at our worst. That's just the way human nature is. How do you prevent someone within your community from basically turning into an absolute tyrant? How do you ensure that that won't happen within your own community? It happens on a larger scale. It happens in corporations. It happens in, uh, you know, on school boards. It happens uh, the PTA. It happens in every social organization. Somebody, a sociopath, as you say, or a psychopath, rises to the top. How do you guard against that in your own community? Well, I include a questionnaire. Now, it's a secret questionnaire. People are asked to fill it out, but they don't know why they're asked to fill it out. But it's a questionnaire to spot psychopaths. It's the psychopath checklist as former Richard. Seriously, I've thought of that. I've thought, <laughs> how, how do we keep the psychopaths out of our community? Because you let one of these psychopaths in, then kiss the whole community goodbye, because that's what happens in government. They get into government, forget about government. Everything turns to crap. You get one of these people in your community, everything turns to crap. So I even have a questionnaire. So let's What's say it you like a I, personality test. Is it one of those Briggs personality test? It just gives you a clue. You know, right. it's not foolproof. There is no foolproof method for this. You know, none of these solutions are foolproof. But boy, I've tried to figure everything that could go wrong and provide an answer for it. First of all, everybody has to sign that they are willing to obey the charter. Now, why we still have rule of law, if they break that. Uh, their oath to that charter, they're legally responsible. You can sue them because it's a legal contract. I agree to obey these rules. I will not take more than any, but whatever it is that it's in the charter. And if somebody, you know, comes in, steals all the food or takes it all and doesn't bring it back, well, you sue the bastard. So long as there's a, you know, 
right now, you know, with the rule of law, we can do that. But also, once the rule of law is gone, everybody has to swear a sacred oath to follow that charter. That's what all these old, you know, uh, uh, mutual aid societies did. They all had to swear an oath. I have to swear an oath when I was a when I was a Cub Scout, right? Dib, right. dib, dib, dob, 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 right? Everybody had to s- All right. More than that, I don't know what else to say. You know, I, there's going to be awful people everywhere, but what I'm trying to do is weed them out as much as possible. Also, you might want to have a prerequisite for members that join your community that proves, and this is what they did, and I'm taking this as an example from artists' colonies. Now, in the 1800s, there were numerous mutual aid societies that that uh, catered exclusively to artists. It was a beautiful thing. They would have, sometimes it would be just a single house, and two or three artists would live there. And they would, you know, share the the expenses and they could spend time working on their art. In other cases, artists would move into a small town and they would buy up, you know, half of the houses there. So every other house was an artist. And then they would, again, do what I'm suggesting here, you know, uh, a lending circle, a buying group. They would pool their resources to help support each other. But they owned the whole town. It was a whole town full of artists that pooled the resources so that they could support each other so that they could afford the time and, and the artist's materials to produce art and put on art fairs and run a gallery and things like that. I mean, it was a beautiful thing. Right. Is there any need to have your own currency? No. No. I, I don't cover that at all. I don't think currency is a need. You could do man hours, you know, so I'll, I'll come and help help gardening for two hours, but then you got to come and help me fish for two hours, you know? Right. Bar- <laughs> In other words, a barter system. It's a barter system and people know what's fair. You don't have to lay it out. Okay. You, you I got to take another time out here, Stefan. We'll, uh, we'll come back and uh, finish up. Stefan Verstappen, the complete guide to forming communities for mutual aid, support and charity back with more in a moment. Beaming across North America, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. We are back with Stefan Verstappen, and uh, we're talking about his new project, The Complete Guide to Forming Communities. These are mutual aid societies, uh, which could be used um, even when times are relatively stable, uh, as we, we mentioned in the first hour, as you described in the first hour, you could simply uh, form a community in, in, in order to combat rising food prices. So you form a food co-op. You become, you and 10 other families, you become, you get a, a wholesaler's license. And now all of a sudden you can, you can buy food at wholesale prices and then just distribute it to your, to your community, to your group. Uh, but it's also laid out in this in this guide in case of a natural disaster uh, a, th- a three day uh, power outage a three week power outage a three month uh, power outage what if it goes what if it's a major EMP event uh, Stefan and there's no there's no sign of civil civility coming back in the foreseeable future we're talking about maybe even years by some estimates if if there was an EMP event, uh, we would have 90% fatality rate by some estimates in North America within the first year. 
Because you, you can imagine with no electricity, that means there's no water filtration, there's no uh, refrigeration, uh, there's no security. Uh, it, it would just be madness for the, you know, for the, it would take 10 years by some estimates to bring the power grids back up. So would, what, what do you do then? Well, I've thought of that too, Richard. <laughs> I hate, hate to sound like a smarty pants, but I've gone through that scenario. I've, I've, I've gone through that. So level four preparedness. Level four preparedness means that your community has enough stockpile of food and uh, equipment and, and, and I list everything that you need to buy on, on a week by week, month by month basis. Within a year, you can get five families up to a level four. And that means you can survive for a year or indefinitely. So what happens then is that all the teams morph into long range planning and programming. So shelter team is uh, responsible for building extra buildings and, and greenhouses and uh, storage sheds um, so that maybe we need to have two or three families move into my property and we'll build an extra cabin in the backyard and we'll build a greenhouse and then nourishment team can come in and they can dig a fish pond and they can run the greenhouse and grow extra food. And then security team, we can go up and down the river here fishing and hunting and bring in extra food and, and, and of course, wild edibles. Um, medical team can grow an herb garden. They can set up a small emergency hospital. We'll, we'll get the stuff together. Like after a year, you know, you'll have surgery kits. Maybe you'll have an automatic defibrillator, maybe an ultrasound machine. And um, hope, and also, you'll have the manuals. Now, when the, the power goes out and everything turns to crap, um, you've got a lot of time to read. And so if you get my uh, survival library, which, which has you know 280 books, uh, you spend a lot of time reading. Then teach yourself how to perform minor surgery. And especially somebody that's already got a nursing degree or, or a physiotherapist or somebody that's a, 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 an EMT. They already have, they, they, they know some of the skills, they, they know anatomy. If you let them spend the next two months going through medical manuals, they'll figure it out. And also, it's in my book, the kind of medical equipment you should be buying. In the beginning, a three-day first aid kit, yes. But by the end of the year, you should have suture kits, you should have scalpels, you should have Novocaine. You should have a stockpile of antibiotics. Are you going to have to scavenge have- this? Would you have a scavenging team? I mean, we're we're not talking about stealing. We're talking about when 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 there's absolutely no, there's no government, there's no civil uh, order at all, uh, and well, places are abandoned. Are you going to send out a scavenging team to find materials and drugs and so forth? Absolutely. Well, if you follow the plan, you will have stockpiled this after a year. I mean, it's not that expensive. It depends on how much money you have. I mean, this this plan is also scalable. You could have a homeless community follow this plan, and they will benefit from it. They won't be able to do everything, say, a middle-class uh, a team could do, but they will vastly improve their chances of survival and their quality of life. I mean, and again, I got this idea from China. The beggars in China had a union, and they were very successful, and they were quite wealthy. When you were a beggar in China, you were not poor. They had a union. looked after each other. You know? So this, is, this could be applied to the homeless, which is just an absolute tragedy here in this city. Uh, Absolutely. 
be applied to the homeless. I've got a complete plan, emergency survival. So, you know, where are you going to store excess food? Uh, well, you know, there's different places throughout the city and uh, you cooperate and you work together. And, and, and again, you know, working together as a team is a force multiplier. Like there's a lot of things I can do by myself, but I can do three times as much if I have one other person with me. I can do 10 times as much if I have three other people with me. I can do 20 times as much if I have five people working with me. Well, the problem with, with though with forming a community within the homeless population is you have a great deal of, um, you know, mental health issues. You have addictions. Uh, they're not necessarily going to have the wherewithal to pull together. No, those people you can't save. A lot. Uh, yeah, there is a problem with that. It's about 10% uh, of the homeless are, have serious medical problems. And right now, I think it's a tragedy that they're homeless. They should be in hospitals in, in, uh, uh, in, in uh, what they used to call that, um, <coughs> sanatoriums. Now we think it's a mental assignment. But in the olden days, it was when you had, right. you know. Uh, okay, just because we're at, almost out of time here, I, I have to ask yeah. you this. Are, are you... Involved in a community? I I have my team together. You yeah, have your small. team. Well, you know, because it's very difficult to find people to that you can trust and cooperate with. So I've got my five man team. So, but like I said, the minimum number is two. You and one other person. Just get together with one guy you can trust. I got your back. You got mine. We work together. And uh, if we want to bring in a third person. We screen them, we test them, we, we, we look them over if they're good quality character, bring in the third person. We want to bring in the fourth person. Okay, you look them over, you get to know them, you find out about them, they hear their background, maybe you already know them from work or from church or something. You can build your team. You can start with two, build up to five. Five is a good number. A five-man team, I know it doesn't sound like it's enough, but a five-man team is very flexible and moves quickly. And has fewer logistical problems. And during a disaster, the ability to be fluid and move quickly really aids in survival. Then after that, once the initial crisis has passed, then you can add more members to your community. And like I said, I have ways of how to admit them, questions to ask. But, uh, and I live here in Oakville, so anybody in Toronto, go to my website. My email is up there. If you want to be part of a community, if you're interested in something like that, want to talk about it, email me. I'll come to your place, your community, your, your community center, your rec center, the library, and we can discuss about how you can form a community. And so, we've linked up to your website. If, they, if people go to strangeplanet.ca and then go to the conspiracy show under tonight's show information, just click on uh, Stefan's name and that'll take you to the website. That's chinastrategies.com. Yes. ChinaStrategies.com. All and right. The thing is, yeah. The more we can separate ourselves from the state in every which way we can, more self-reliant and self-sufficient, we will survive anything they can throw at us. And again, the uh, the GoFundMe to help get this uh, complete guide to forming a community. Uh, how do they do that? Uh, GoFundMe forward slash how to create a community. All right, Stefan, uh, you know, this is, it all makes sense. And as, uh, as you've pointed out, you've, you, you've thought of everything. It's all in this complete guide, which will hopefully be published soon. Thank you so much for this. 
You're welcome, Richard. Thank you very much for having me back on. My pleasure. Stefan Verstappen. All right, my thanks to uh, Owen Wolf and Ryan White. Back next week with uh, Victor Vigiani and Steve Bassett talking UFO disclosure. That'll be our final program for 2019. Again, happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas. And in the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.